Our final segment of Brigham Young's 56 Plural Wives next on Polygamy. What love is this? Well, we're wrapping up our uh, overview, I guess you can call it, of Brigham Young's Many Wives, his 56 Wives. Wow. And it's been quite a journey, actually, getting through all of them. <laughs> and it, I don't know about our viewers, but it, it left me shaking my head, you know, after learning about the very strange marriage practices of the Mormon polygamists. Some relationships can only be summarized as being sordid and promiscuous, even though those in Mormonism will be offended by that statement. It's true. Yeah, it's so strange and so ungodlike. Right. <laughs> Exactly. You just can't believe a prophet of God has been called to, or that God would even up. ever condone something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but how else can you categorize a man marrying a woman who are, who are already married and living with their husbands, with their legal husbands? How else can you categorize women without legal divorces becoming a plural wife of another man who already has dozens of wives yeah. and also have children with him? So, you know, we, we say that, but it was sordid, and it was promiscuous, and it was fornication, and it can be, cannot be pleasing to God, and certainly wasn't commanded by Him. We ended last time in the middle of Anne, Anne Eliza Young's story. She had capitulated to Brigham Young's pressure to marry him, along with her parents coaxing, and so she agreed against her will to become a plural wife of Brigham Young. However, Brigham... <coughs> pardon me... <coughs> Brigham was afraid of his favorite wife, Amelia Folsom, of her anger, so he married Eliza secretly and kept a secret for several months, <laughs> evidently, uh, because Eliza had refused to move into the lion house. He pre had prepared a small house for her while she continued living with her parents, and during those months, Brigham visited her less than a half a dozen times, hmm. only, and only for a few minutes each time. So as we continue with her story, we'll discover some details about Brigham's treatment of his plural wives as witnessed and experienced by Annalisa. She tells of the stinginess of his support. Yeah, and this is written, right, in the uh, book uh, Wife Number 19. Exactly. Right? Yeah, all of this is from that book. taken from that quote. And this particular quote's from page 459. He had what he called Ration Day once a month, that Brigham Young, of course, when the different families were given out their allowance for the month. This allowance for each family was five pounds of sugar, a pound of candles, a bar of soap, wow, and a box of matches. Our bread we had from the Prophet's Bakery. Once in six months, his clerk got a few of the commonest necess necessaries of life, sorry, and each of us had a few yards of calico and a few yards of both bleached and unbleached muslin. I could not get anything else out of him except by the hardest labor, and the little that I got was given so grudgingly that I hated myself for accepting it, and many a time I would have thrown the pitiful amount back in his face, but stern necessity would compel me to accept the money and overlook the insult. <laughs> that awful. It was after he had moved her into the little house in the city that the other wives discovered she was a plural wife of Brigham Young. He took her to the Lion House to visit the family of wives and children, and she said that she was kindly received by most of his wives, but Eliza Burgess and Harriet Cook would not even speak to her. 
she tells why Harriet Cook refused to acknowledge her as a sister wife. Well, she used to take care of me when I was a baby, and so she was angry that when she heard that Brigham had married me, that she was wish she wished with all her heart that she had choked me when she had a good chance that she certainly would had she would had she known what my future was to be. Eliza Burgess, though not at the first and never a favorite wife, used to be terribly exercised whenever Brigham added another to the family. She would go about crying bitterly for days and would sometimes shut herself up in her room, refusing to see anyone. Her sorrow was the joke of the family, since no member of it could see what reason she had for indulging in it. She had just gotten over mourning his alliance with Mary Van Cott when she was called upon to grieve over his union with me. So it was just one, <laughs> one, one round of grief after another. She would cry and go in her room for days or something. And not <laughs> Maybe talk she to was anybody. crying for that new wife because uh, she yeah, didn't she have to experience the same pain. That may be. Who knows? Eliza, Anne Eliza said that she really didn't have any hard feelings toward Harriet because she knew and understood her pain. Harriet, Harriet got no attention or love from her husband. She was starved for love. She saw, she didn't receive any, but she saw others receive it. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's hard to take. But that is Mormon polygamy. Harriet had been sealed to Brigham in Nauvoo, so had been his plural wife for many years. Eliza wrote that Harriet, that Harriet didn't hesitate to say that, and I quote, Mormonism, polygamy, and the whole of it is a humbug and may go to the devil, <laughs> unquote. She said Brigham won't even discuss theology with her because that's probably all she would say. But she get, he gets out of her way as speedily as possible. Next, Eliza relates her first encounter with Amelia. She had not got over her anger at her Lord for making for taking Mary Van Cott, of whom, by the way, she was terribly jealous, when fuel was added to the fire of her fury by my introduction to the world as another Mrs. Young. She was terribly bitter towards us both, though I think she hated Mary with a more deadly hatred than she felt for me. I think she considered Mary her most dangerous rival, but for all that she was not drawn towards me at all. It was not that she disliked me less— but Mary Moore. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Mary was a real threat. <laughs> Such <guess>. emotional <laughs> drama that's going on in, yeah. in these hearts and the lives and the families. And it's just hard to express, hard to understand. Well, Brigham Young rarely visited Anne Eliza in her new little home once she got moved into it. And when he did, they would generally just go out for a carriage drive together. Um, he seemed to be quite uncomfortable, and, and um, he never went anywhere alone with any of his wives, except once in a while he would, be, he would drive out alone with Amelia or Emmeline. But he always otherwise took two or more wives with him if he went out for a drive. Wow. Now, before they were married... <clears throat> Brigham had promised to take care of Eliza and the needs of her and her two sons. In fact, uh, it didn't happen. He, he went back on his promise. In fact, he, he would scold her mm. if he thought that she was spending too much time and or money on her boys. She often had to contrive other ways to obtain the supplies for them and for herself. And Eliza explains how Brigham Young coerced 
prospective wives when they objected to his marriage proposal. Good insight here. Brigham was looked upon as the savior of all the Mormon people, and disobedience to him was considered disobedience to God, since God's commands came through him. He would say, you must be my wife. God has revealed it to me. You cannot be saved by anyone else. If you marry me, I will save you and exalt you to be a queen in the celestial world. But if you refuse, you will be destroyed, both soul and body. This is the same argument he used to win me, and the one he has always in reserve as the last resort when everything else fails to secure his victim. Now that's damnable heresy, I would say, that he would say that to them. He could get struck down by lightning. Yeah, yeah it's funny it didn't happen. Jesus is the Savior, not Brigham Young. And it never ceases to amaze me how they claim that they follow Jesus, but they have totally displaced him as the Savior, and they cho choose a sinner to yeah. save them. And they do it by sexual relationship. Hmm. And Jesus is just a bystander to them. It's sad how many in Mormonism have actually adopted and embraced a religion that applauds the sinful sexual man and in doing so rejects the perfect Savior. Yeah. Eliza and her mother lived together in the little small house in the city for a while, and then Brigham decided to move them into one of his farms. Eliza didn't want to go, but the prophet had spoken, and no one went against his will. She describes her work in detail on the farm. The duties of housekeeper at the farm were neither slight nor easily performed. There were butter and cheese to make, from 40 cows, all the other dairy work to attend to besides cooking for 25 or 30 men, including the farm laborers and the workmen from the cocoonery, I know at least six women who have been completely broken down under the work at the farmhouse, and neither my mother nor myself have ever recovered from the illness contracted there from overwork. We had occasional visits from Brigham. He was very fond of coming unexpectedly and at all sorts of irregular hours, hoping, evidently, that sometime he might catch us napping. He was so addicted to fault-finding and so easily displeased that we took no pleasure in his visits. Isn't that Ooh, something? That yeah. Just living in fear of him showing up. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get that. I understand that. Really? It's my own experiences. Mm. Not with him, of course. No. But but <laughs> on the farm I was raised on. Now, Eliza's life, as we can gather from these quotes, uh, was filled with very long, oppressive, dull, joyless, and burdensome work days. Uh, she was losing all hope for herself and especially for her growing boys. Brigham was a tightwad. He, he didn't keep his promises. He was a fault finder. She said that he overworked and underpaid his hired help, that he showed little or no regard at all for most of his wives. And after three and a half years, he decided to move others onto the farm, and Eliza and her mother moved back to the city. But after they got back to the city, Brigham told Eliza that her mother must be turned out. He couldn't afford oh to keep her with them any longer. That's and of course, this broke her heart. It's terrible. Um, and so we quote what she said about that. In addition to the dread and dislike which had grown up in my heart toward my husband, I was beginning to lose faith in the religion which he represented. <laughs> beginning. His petty meannesses, meannesses, his deceit, his unscrupulousness, his open regard, disregard for the truth, all were so utterly at variance with the right that I could no longer look upon him as a spiritual guide and director. 
I looked about me, and on every side I saw so much of misery that I felt it must be a false faith indeed which brought such unhappiness to its followers. Yet I knew no other religion, and I groped about in a state of spiritual bewilderment, tortured by many conflicting doubts. Now, I think both of us <laughs> can kind of get in her oh, head about absolutely. this, because when we're thinking about leaving Mormonism behind completely, there is that turmoil. Well, there was never any question that Joseph Smith, for example, was a prophet of God. The Book of Mormon was true. The church was the only true church. It, yeah. it, it takes a real leap of, of energy and emotion and a lot of things to, mm -hmm. to break, break out of that. To break through it. And, and, and you had that added feeling that God didn't love you. Right, right. Yeah, he, he only that. loved people who were in the polygamy group, but also who were strictly obedient, you yeah. know, and I wasn't. I was a big so rebel. I didn't, I didn't ever have that extra <laughs> little added attraction there. Of, and Eliza would have had that, too, because she, she explained she it already, yeah. that, how they had coerced her that, that she would go to hell if she didn't yeah. do this polygamy thing. So sometime later, and this is the interesting part, <laughs> this is the part where we applaud, <laughs> she was introduced to a Methodist pastor uh, Reverend Stratton was his name, and he was told, he was curious about Mormonism and polygamy, and he was told that Eliza Young would speak freely on, to him, with him, on the subject of Mormonism, that she would be frank and honest in her opinions and would answer any question that he wanted to ask her. So they got together, and they met and talked. And now she said, Eliza said, that he was the first representative of a religion outside of Mormonism that she had ever known. And she was drawn toward the world that he represented. She wanted to know more about it. <laughs> now, Mr. Stratton expressed his desire to see her again and to meet for her to meet his wife. And this is what Eliza said about this first <laughs> Christian monogamous couple she'd ever met. And you know, this puts on a different perspective when she addresses the women at the beginning of, the sh of, of her book, uh, the preface. It does. That this is to my Mormon, or to these polygamous yeah. friends of mine. Mm -hmm. I was struck by his very manner of speaking of her. I had never heard a woman referred to in so deferential a tone before, and I wondered at it. It was the first glimpse I'd ever had of domestic life outside of polygamy, and the deference which the husband showed to the wife, the confidence she displayed in him and her perfect ease in his presence. They were very strange to me. The equality on which they seemed to stand puzzled me. I could not understand this religion, which regarded women as an independent soul with a free will and a capability of judgment. The inferiority of women is so strongly insisted upon by the Mormon doctrine that I supposed it to be the same everywhere. And the first view which I got of this sweet household was a revelation to me. You know, the very first time I ever read that was years ago that I, that I first read this statement from her. And I was just, again, it's something I could relate to because the difference yeah. that, that polygamy, even Mormonism has yeah. women under the, subjected to the yeah. male. Yeah. And polygamy is worse. And, and to see that there is an equality, that God sees women and men equally. Yeah. In marriage and a, and in life, a new revelation, <laughs> and for that, sure. Yeah, and and the beauty, the beauty of what God has determined, as yeah. opposed to what they claim God has determined. Yeah. Well, Eliza made the unthinkable decision. <laughs> 
she was going to break the yoke. She would leave Brigham Young and Mormonism. Well, Brigham refused to support her. Uh, they rarely visited with each other, and, and when they did, it was always on a negative tone, so she, why should she stay? She asked herself the question, if Brigham refused to support her as his wife, why would he even put her in the position of needing to be supported? She hadn't run after him as a husband. She hadn't he, he had pursued her. She sure. hadn't him. Absolutely. And he had made promises he didn't keep. He coerced her and guilt-tripped her into the marriage. She had a friend whose husband was in communication with lawyers. They weren't Mormon lawyers. <laughs> her friend explained Eliza's uh, dilemma to them, and they all agreed, and they advised her to bring a lawsuit against Brigham Young for divorce and to ask for alimony. Well, she was assured that if she lost, it would be a test case, and it was. It would reveal how the Mormon polygamous wife stood according to the law. They told her that she would find profound sympathy from the outside world. Well, her mother had lost faith in Brigham, but she not in her religion. <laughs> but Eliza struggled with what we know as their mind control and brainwashing, and this is some of her struggle. Those days of struggle were dark indeed, and oftentimes I did not know which way to turn. Perils and miseries faced me on every side. I was in doubt as to which was the true religion or whether any were true. The question frequently arose, what would become of me if I apostatized? My church taught me that I should be given over to eternal damnation, and although I had ceased to regard my church and its teachings, yet I had a slight feeling of superstition left, and in my weak state, I could but portray to myself the horrors of my situation if what it taught were really true. And that's what we were talking about. We go through that yeah. stage when we decide to leave more... Mormonism, and it's all because we're fighting off that brainwashing yeah. that we have been taught all our lives. But what's it, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Now, if anyone who wanted to leave any religion, any in any non-Christian religion, of course, Christianity is not a religion as per. <laughs> but if you get in your mind that Jesus is the Savior, all by Himself. You don't need religion. Yeah. You don't need all of that. All you need is Jesus. And that's the answer to all of this. It really is. Now, with the help of some of her Gentile friends, plans were made and she was ready to renounce Mormonism and leave. And she said they had to move quickly or be discovered by the Mormon spies. And if that happened, all would be lost. So on July 17th of 1873, she vacated her house, and she left it stripped and desolate. She said it was all done so quickly, no one ever had time to even suspect what was going on. Wow. She got a hotel room for the first time in her life, and it was at the Walker House. She called it a Gentile hotel. Now, for our viewers who are not familiar with the word Gentile in Mormonism, a Gentile to them is everybody who's not a Mormon. Right. And and they were taught that the Gentiles were their enemies. Okay, so you can see yeah. the dilemma that Eliza's in mentally and emotionally. Uh, all her life, Eliza had been taught that the Gentiles were her bitter enemies, and here she was living among them. <laughs> they were helping her, yeah. and and she wasn't sure what to expect. 
her story hit the newspapers. The Mormon newspapers abused, verbally abused her, and the Gentile papers praised her and <laughs> congratulated her, and reporters from, from California and Chicago and New York papers called on her for interviews. And she was really quite astonished by all this attention, we quote. Yeah, she says, I'd gone to bed a poor, defenseless, outraged woman trying to find my way out of a false life into something truer and better, and I arose to find that my name had gone the length and breadth of the country, and that I was everywhere known as Brigham Young's rebellious wife. <laughs> People who were curious to see one of the wives of the prophet swarmed into the hotel. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now, the sad part of this is a letter that she had received from her mother. She and her mother had remained close friends and confidants and companions through the terrible years of Brigham Young's abusive marriage to her. But here is part of that letter that her mother wrote to Eliza. And she knew what Eliza had gone through. Yeah. It's so sad. I know. My dear child, you can never know how dear you are to your grief-stricken mother. Your death would have been far preferable to the course you were taking. How gladly would I have laid you in your grave had I known what was in your heart. Isn't that awful? It's, it's inconceivable. And, and that, that sentiment is communicated today throughout all of Mormonism. You're better yeah. off dead yeah. um, if, than leaving the religion. I don't understand how parents can say such things and even believe such things about their own children. It just boggles my mind. Well, there's no, there's no love there. There's not Jesus there. No, it's just all religion, isn't it? Is. it? It's, it's all, all tied up in the religion. Yeah. And it's a lie. It's a lie. All we need is Jesus. As we've said before, we don't need Mormonism or polygamy or some counterfeit false prophet and false gospel and false apostles. All we need is the only true Savior, and that true Savior is Jesus Christ. Now, there was a great deal of slander and opposition from all of Mormonism against her. Of course, there would be. And you will have to read all of her book to find all this out and to, to kind of get a grip on all of the ugly details. But there's plenty. Uh, we can't go through them all, of course. But she did file for divorce. She asked for compensation for her legal fees and support for her and her children. They were divorced in 1875. So I guess a couple of years earlier, in 1873, Anna Eliza Young, known as wife number 19, began suit against Brigham for divorce with alimony. About two years later, she was awarded $500 per month, which decision was afterwards set aside, but not, Tullidge says, until Brigham had been imprisoned for contempt of court and had paid two months alimony and 4,000 council fees. So I wonder how much crow Brigham Young <laughs> suffered. <laughs> how much he suffered eating back, all that huh? crow. Yeah, because no. there was some crow eating there for him. But in the end, he still didn't end up having to pay the yeah. alimony. Yeah. And, and this is why. Brigham's response had been that he had never been legally married to Anne Eliza. He admitted their marriage was only according to the custom of the Latter-day Saints, which was polygamy, spiritual wifery. So legally, he didn't have a... Yeah. Yeah. The judge ruled that because the marriage was not legally valid, the court could not grant a divorce. Hmm. And again, there were several legal arguments that were presented in her lawsuit. But in the end, just like it is today, a legal divorce is impossible when there's no legal marriage. And polygamy is not legal and never has been in any place that the Mormons practiced it. Eliza took flight in spite of the many threats of vengeance from the Mormon people. 
just after midnight one night, she left through the back door of the hotel. There was a carriage that was waiting for her, and she quickly they quickly took her out of the city and to the Union Pacific train station in Utah, and she escaped Utah and Brigham Young and Mormonism and polygamy. And after that, she spent many years educating the American public on the evils mm. of polygamy. She published her book and dedicated hours, days, weeks, and years trying to encourage deliverance for the Mormon and polygamous captives in Utah. And this concludes the story of Brigham Young's 53rd wife. Did you ever hear or read, or did she ever say that she reconciled at all with her mother? Did you ever? Not that I recall yeah. reading. That's too bad. Yeah, and and maybe she did. I don't know. Yeah. I could look through the. It'd be toward the end of her book sure. if, if it did happen. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Yeah. So we go to his fifty fourth wife, Elizabeth Jones. She was fifty five. Brigham was sixty eight. The only information I could readily find on her uh, was from Wikipedia.org. She was born in Wales. Uh, where she owned an inn called the White Lion and hosted various groups of Mormon missionaries there. She immigrated to the United States and to Utah, lived on Brigham Young's farm property, and was sealed to him for time and eternity in 1890. She died in 1895. His 55th wife was Lydia Farnsworth. She was 61. He was 68. She was married to a man by the name of Elijah Mayhew, uh, for years, she expressed a strong desire to be sealed to Brigham Young, mm. and she was sealed to him for eternity, May of 1870, but remained living with her husband. Mm. She died in 1897. Now, his 56th and final wife was Hannah Tapfield. Uh, she was 65. He was 71. She's another wife who was sealed to Brigham Young, but remained living with her husband, Thomas King, who was a non-Mormon. She and Brigham were sealed in December 1872 for time and eternity. And she died in 1886. And that's the end of this long <laughs> and tragic story of Brigham Young's 56 wives and his heretical teaching of salvation by polygamy. And none of those were married for eternity because when they died and opened their eyes on the other side, Jesus, they discovered, was the only Savior. Marriage had nothing to do with it. Shocking revelation. <laughs> It'll be shocking. Yeah, it would have been shocking. Yeah. Well, that was quite a journey, Earl. It was. <laughs> fascinating. It was fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, there's hundreds of stories, fascinating stories like that yeah. in early Mormon polygamy. I'm sure. And in today's polygamy. Thank you again. You bet. Thank you My again. pleasure. You know, this is the final show of Brigham Young's Wives, all 56 of them. We discovered a lot of pain and rejection, loneliness, poverty, and favoritism in his polygamy. When I began my own biblical investigation of polygamy, I learned for myself who this God of the Bible really is. And it became very plain that the God who, who, who proclaims his love for us could not possibly have commanded such a horrific way of polygamy for us to be saved from our sins. God does not give us religion. God does not have a list of dozens or hundreds of don't do this and do that commands. He only has two commands, love God and love one another. That's it. Rituals and endowments and commandments and ordinances are all from people who think that they produce humbleness and purity when all they do is take your focus off Jesus and place it upon yourself and your religion. God did not create us to fulfill a bunch of commandments. He created us to love Him and enjoy Him forever. It's that simple. 
Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.